right? Hey, don't go to the whole party. I won't spoil it for you, but the ending is so good. <laughs> well, as I say that about spoilers, I don't like spoilers. I'm going to do that first today. I'm going to be give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give away the end of the story. Not completely, not all the details, but I'm going to tell you the main plot ending to the story. And before we get to that, there are two questions I want to ask each of us, and I want to ask you to think about. And the first question is, if you can know when and how you die, would you want to know? I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. No? I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. You don't have to come to an answer right now. If you could know when and how you would die, would you want to know? If so, if so, how would that change how you live the rest of your life? If you would know. If not, if you choose, I don't want to know. I don't want to know how I'm going to die, when I'm going to die, where I'm going to be when I die. Does that still affect how you live out in life? Whether you know or not know, when or not, how or not, where or not, whatever it may be, how does that affect how you live out the rest of your life? Because how you answer that question probably will affect your value and how you see the story of your life. How you choose to live out your life and how you view and value the story of your life. Whether you know how you're going to die, when you're going to die, what you're going to die from, whatever it is, how that may affect you. How do you answer that question? Well, it certainly affects how you view the story of your life. Over the past few months, we've seen how Jesus, we've been going through the book of Mark, and how Jesus has been preparing the disciples. And he's been preparing the disciples for his eventual crucifixion and resurrection. But we're going to see here this week and in the next couple weeks that Jesus prepares the disciples for much more than just his death and resurrection. We're going to take a look at that in Mark chapter 13. And we're going to take a look at the next couple of weeks, or at least the next couple of messages, this term about eschatology, or the end times. Okay? Um, when we talk about eschatology, it refers to either Jesus is coming, the end times, the latter days. You ask other people, you know, outside of church or whatever, the end of the world, or end of life as we know it. We're going to take a look, talk a little bit about that in these next few messages. Uh, many present eschatology, this idea of the end times, when Jesus comes back, or the, the latter days. Many people teach it with very like certainty and clarity. They're very definitive in their teaching. And I believe well, many are very sincere that they are truly convinced and they truly are definitive in their minds. This is how it's going to be. This is what it looks like. I'm going to be kind of honest with you and say there are varying interpretations and opinions of much of eschatology. There's a lot of differing views and interpretations on certain passages in our understanding of future 
events. So there is a spectrum within the Christian community, within interpreters, within pastors, and so forth, different views on different interpretations of certain passages. And you may think, well, why? Why is there different views when it comes to eschatology or the end times or Jesus' coming? And I kind of think of two main reasons that uh, I could point to, and there are others, but two reasons I wanted to talk about today. One of them is that the Bible contains imagery that appear to be symbolic. There's imagery that's spoken into the Bible that seems symbolic. You look at the book of Revelation, how many of you have read the book of Revelation? How many of you read it and walked away from it feeling like very confused? Right? You're looking at beasts and beasts with multiple heads and horns and eyes, and you're like, is that real? Or is it literal? Right? So there's different passages in the Bible that uses this imagery that you would assume is symbolic. And what that meaning is, is up for interpretation. The second reason why I think there's differing views is that God wanted us to view and understand or constantly look and be aware. Constantly looking, be aware, but live with a sense of imminence that it's going to happen, it can happen at any moment. Right? That seems to be clear, that Jesus taught the disciples in the early church to live with the sense of imminence that it can happen at any moment. Well, of course, we're about 2,000 years later, and Jesus hasn't come back, right? I've shared before, but when I was a kid, I never thought I would live to be married or have kids, because I always thought Jesus is going to come back anytime, real soon. So I thought, what's real soon? Is that like before I graduate high school? You know, middle school? Uh, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to get married, right? I didn't know what real soon meant. Well, here my kids are graduating high school. I have one going into high school, and Jesus hasn't come yet, right? Let me rest assured you, Jesus has not come back yet, right? So we didn't miss out anything. <laughs> but I grew up with that sense. So I think there's two, those two points, I think it's very, that kind of, makes it a little unclear how we're to understand some of the things that's being described. But we're going to try to take a stab at it and look at it in Mark chapter 12. Uh, just so you know, this is going to, today's going to be kind of an overview of what we're going to look at in Mark 13. Uh, it's not going to be an exhaustive look at the end times or eschatology. That's going to take a long, longer time. But our focus is going to be on Mark and his journey to Jesus' journey to the cross, right? And what I'm going to do is approach it from what we can understand definitively. All right, so I'm going to try to teach what we can understand as definitive. Okay? And the second thing, what we can uh, assume with some certainty. Okay, so there's some certainty that we can have about certain things. And then there's going to be some things that we may be able to agree to disagree on. The reason why I say that is because sometimes certain issues in Scripture can be a very divisive topic. We can categorize, well, you're this person, you're this person, you follow this, you follow this, and, well, if you believe this way, then you're not quite as spiritual or quite as theologically accurate, right? That may or may not be true, but sometimes we can be divisive on those things. So we're going to talk about what is definitive, what is problem with with pretty good certainty, and then what can we agree to disagree on? We'll look at that in the next couple weeks, okay? But here's what I want us to focus on in Mark as we look at in chapter 13. 
First thing is, what does Jesus proclaim will take place? Okay, so when we look at chapter 13, what does Jesus proclaim will take place? What are the signs that we're to look for? We'll look at that next week. And then thirdly, how should we respond to what will happen? Okay, so what does Jesus proclaim will take place? What are the signs that we're to, to know and be aware of? And then third, how should we respond to what we're being told? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And it reads as this, verse 1. And as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things are going to be fulfilled? Let me stop there for a second. Give you a little bit of background. The, of the splendor of Herod's temple. Now, King Herod, right, who, who was the quote-unquote king at the time, not an actual monarch king, but he was kind of uh, designated by Roman, the emperor. Herod rebuilt the temple, okay, in his 18th year of his reign, and he built it in this grand scale, okay, he made it so magnificent. You know, people refer to it as like the eighth wonder of the world at the time, right? Its height from, from red rock to top was over 15 stories high. Okay? The length of it was more than about five football fields in length. So you can imagine that, right? Football fields about 100 yards, right? 100 yards, so you can five of those. The width of it was over 1,000 feet, right? So this just enormous building. And, this, and he built it with these humongous limestones. So it's huge rocks. So when the disciples are at the temple and they're looking at it, and they're marveling at it, wow, Jesus. Isn't this just amazing? Or I don't know if you've ever been to somewhere, a building, you looked at it, just the enormity of it. You look at how high it goes, or how it's built, you're just like amazing at it. So the disciples looking at Jesus, wow, look at these huge rocks, the, how the, the stones in which this temple is built. You would think that Jesus would be like, yeah, how amazing. But that wasn't his reaction. That wasn't his reaction at all. He wasn't as impressed with it. In fact, Jesus makes a startling declaration. Jesus prophesies that the destruction of the temple will take place. He says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. This is a startling declaration. Matthew, his account, the disciples, they respond by asking a very legitimate question, right? They're marveling at the temple. Jesus says, not one stone will be left without being torn down. And the disciples asked the question, when will these things be? Matthew's account, Matthew 24, verse 3, tells us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
The disciples asked Jesus, when will these things take place? What you're saying is going to happen. The temple, the stones are going to be temple torn down. When will these things take place? But then he also asked, in addition to that, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice, they combine both of those concepts. Perhaps they're assuming that Jesus referred to that this will happen, it is coming. And when the temple, all the rough stones were torn down, his coming and the end of the age will take place. So the disciples are asking, when will this happen? And what are the signs in which we are to look for? Jesus goes on, verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I need, and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, over the West Coast, we had a little, little, little shake this, this week. So it's like a four point something. Off the coast of Malibu, it was like two o'clock in the morning. Any of you feel that this week? Yeah, you're, you're all a little too far in, right? Yeah, all right, you felt you felt right? And it was enough to jolt us awake a little bit. I'm a veteran, I've been working during the week, so it didn't scare me. So we felt it, we walked over and, uh, to see if Michaela was okay. She wasn't scared. She opened the door and looked in, and she was not there. <laughs> coming a veteran, Southern California native, right? I did not fear her. So Jesus did not come back, right? Okay. Verse 6, or 9, I'm sorry. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand that let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him who is on the housetop not go down or enter in to get anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child, and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never shall. And unless the Lord has shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, here he is there, or he is there, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. But take heed, 
Behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Oh, I need a, I need a sip. <laughs> My voice was going. Secondary. Now, I don't know about you. You watch a lot of movies or shows. I think one of the most fun genres or movies or TV shows are those ones that are about like, the end of the world. You know? The apocalyptic ones. Right? Those are always very fun to watch. It's very uh, thrilling. Ones with like global crises is about to take place upon the world. We're entertained by all sorts of those uh, kind of scenarios of how the world will end or how life will end as we know it, right? Cataclysmic disasters are thrilling. We love watching the special effects of like tornadoes coming and wiping out cities and like uh, the earth being frozen over or like aliens coming and invading the earth and, and destroying New York. Because it's always New York. <laughs> if it's a tidal wave, it's always San Francisco, right? Or uh, LA or something. We love those movies. We get so caught up in the special effects and we don't really think about like, oh, that explosion was so cool. We don't think about the thousands of people that probably would have died in that scene, right? And we're so captivated by that. We love those genres of movies, or at least, you know, I get a thrill in it. But it's not just about entertainment, right? The end of the world, how the story ends, uh, it's not just entertainment. Those who are very into the environment, very concerned, right? The end of life as we know it will come to an end if we don't, like, stop cooking with our gas stoves. <laughs> we have to stop doing that. Yeah. Okay. But those who are in, really uh, concerned about the environment, they're seeing all the pollution and all the stuff that's happening in the world. They're like, if we don't do something now, the end of life as we know it, or life as we know it, is going to come to an end. So we've got to do something about it. We've got to populate Mars or something, you know? It's not even just environmentalists, right? The end of the world can happen because of war. Right? War, World War III can break out at any moment. Nuclear war can happen at any moment. And you look at who's behind the, the buttons. Okay, there's a legitimate reason to be concerned, right? So many, some people are concerned about global catastrophes on a military scale. And there's other scenarios that we can imagine, right? Pandemic. People want to end the world life as we know it end because of a great pandemic or global starvation, right? All these scenarios, if we use our imagination, all these scenarios can point to the end of the world. And I gotta admit, if, if that's kind of like what you're envisioning, life can be kind of stressful. How many of you don't have to raise your hand, but how many are stressed out by this? Right? right? Who's who's behind all the conflicts? Are we gonna have enough food? All these kind of things. Is a meteor gonna come from the sky and crash into the earth and wipe us out like dinosaurs, right? All these kind of scenarios. 
Some people wonder, does humanity have any hope? Right? Is there any hope for humanity in the direction that we're going? Well, the Bible makes clear how the story of humanity will conclude. All these scenarios, I believe, are distractions to how it really ends. I think all these things are distractions to how it really ends. Now let me clarify for a second when I say that they're distractions, okay? I mean, they're all play a part in the direction we're going. We can do much better, we can do a much better job managing God's creation than what you're given, right? We can all agree on that. We can do a much better job in managing and tending to God's creation, honoring God's creation, right? We can do that. We can be concerned, legitimately concerned about global conflicts, right? We can be concerned about those things, right? We can, I don't think we need to be concerned about a meteor crashing the earth. I don't think. We don't need to send somebody to send a nuclear weapon to land on the meteor or whatever and we can explode. I don't think we need to be concerned about aliens coming. I know what you saw about UFOs. I know what you saw about how do you explain this question? I don't know. I don't think we need to be concerned about that. I don't think we need to be concerned about that. But I think these all these concerns are distractions from how God tells how the story ends. And we're going to see a little bit of that in the next few weeks. All these distract us from what the Bible says will lead to the end times and the age. Scripture refers to this as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, both in Old Testament and New Testament. And whenever you see the reference to the day of the Lord, it usually refers to the coming of the Lord, or it mentions the day of judgment and wrath, but also a day of redemption, the day of the Lord. The coming of the Lord, a day of judgment and wrath, and a day of redemption. You can say the day of the Lord as the day of wrath. What do you mean by wrath? Whose wrath? God's wrath. God's wrath upon sin, upon unrighteousness, unfaithfulness, but it's also redemption for God's people. So if you know the story, right, this idea, the Jews, when they were awaiting for the Messiah to come, they were anticipating God's kingdom being established. But at the same time, meaning God's judgment against the nations as well. So their concept, their idea, right, God's judgment is going to come upon the nations for their wickedness, for their sin. And I'm sure the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not even consider, they would assume that that meant God's judgment upon Rome. But I'm sure they didn't even consider in their minds their own sin, judgment upon them. Because the prophets of old, or the, the priests in the time of the prophets of the Old Testament, they didn't heed God's warning against them. But so we have to understand this concept, this idea, this idea of the day of the Lord, God, the Lord's coming, Messiah coming, but also God's judgment upon sinfulness, upon wickedness, certainly upon the nations. So I mentioned that this is going to be a little spoiler alert for us. Here's a spoiler alert. Man's pollution or actions is not going to dictate what the world, how the world ends. That's what I'm going to say. 
Man's solutions or actions will not dictate when the world ends. It's not going to be a meteor. It's not going to be a cosmic collision that will end humanity. When that happens, rest in God's time. When that happens, rest in God's time. When that will take place. It'll be when the timing, so when God says, enough is enough. Enough of the wickedness, the sinfulness, and the unfaithfulness. I don't know if you've ever been around uh, arguments or things just went on and on and on. Maybe among your kids or somebody else, a parent or whatever it is, friends or whatever. And you're around and you're hearing the bickering, you're hearing the noise and all this stuff. And you finally get to the point where you say, enough. Stop. Quiet. I can't take it anymore. Maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe that was this morning. I don't know. Maybe it was last night. I don't know. Some of the responses it might have been. <laughs> but there's a point where you say, enough is enough. And it's important for us to understand there isn't any point to God's patience. And the ending point of God's patience is his mercy. What do I mean by that? There's a point where God must intervene because if it is left to ourselves, if we were left to live our lives the way we wanted to, there would be no more humanity. You can think about that. If we were left to ourselves to live however we want, there would be no more humanity. There would be no standard, no rule, no laws, no gaping. The story would end. And there's a point where God says, enough is enough. We can't take it anymore. Or he can't take it anymore. And the time is up. And the big question of that is when and how. Right? And we're going to look at that in Mark 13. But when dealing with eschatology, there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of room for interpretation. And I mentioned before that how I was very interested as a kid about end time stuff, right? I couldn't get enough of it. I soaked it all up. I listened to pastors, and they were so definitive. They were just like very clear. This is what you look for. This is what's happening. This is what it's leading up to. And, you know, so forth. But I'll be honest, as more as I looked into it and studied myself, I realized, you know what? There's a lot more we aren't certain of that we can assume. We can understand for certain. And there's just some things that we're not sure of. Barcodes used to be the mark of the beast. We look at technology today, and it looks like, whoa, okay, that's the mark of the beast. Jesus is going to come back soon. Right? But there's going to be a lot of things that we may not be clear of. And Revelation doesn't help things a little bit, right? I think if we didn't have the book of Revelation, I think things may be a little bit more, like, undisputed. But because of Revelation, we have a lot of stuff in there that we were less, leaves us wondering, hmm, what does this mean? What's the timing of this? It's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke has this passage we read, right, those three Gospels. John's doesn't. But it's interesting that John received Revelation. Isn't that kind of weird? You know what I'm saying, right? This passage we read, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all include that. 
The Gospel of John doesn't have it. But John received revelation. So all four of God's way of truth and gospel has some kind of recognition of the end time or Christ's return. The differences about our understanding when we take a look at new things. Will there be a time of tribulation? Okay, when we look at the end times and stuff today, or not today, but next week. Yeah, this that was just the intro. <laughs> just kidding, stop. What we're going to take a look at. Will there be a great tribulation? Or will, will there be a time of tribulation? Will there be a literal millennial reign of Jesus on the earth? And when will the rapture of the church take place? Those are three things that there's a lot of discussion about and uncertainty about. Will there be a great tribulation? Will there be a literal millennial, a thousand year reign of Christ on earth? And will there be a rapture of the church? And specifically, when will the rapture of the church take place? Will it take place before the tribulation? When will that happen? Right, those are three areas particularly. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of uncertainty. We'll talk a little bit about that in the next couple of weeks. But here's what I will say with certainty. The first thing we're going to see in Mark. One thing we know that Jesus says for sure will happen. Persecution for the sake of Jesus' name will take place and has taken place. We'll see that there will be a time of great tribulation, as Jesus says. We know for certain that Jesus is coming back and that there will be a gathering of his people. We know that for certain, that Jesus says. Next couple of weeks, we'll look at the signs of those kind of things. We'll explore things about what to watch out for. What to look for? How do you understand the world that we're living in now? But let me end with uh, this intro with this thought. I mentioned before about when the church, when the rapture will take place. Is there a little rapture of the church, and does it happen before the great tribulation or not? Right. And there's a lot of people who debate on when that may take place. And people kind of Christians can really kind of obsess over the rapture part, when this will happen. It'll happen at any moment. I've never heard that before. The rapture of the church is going to happen at any moment. You've heard that? I've heard that for the last 30 plus years in my life. Maybe 40 plus years in my life. A lot of Christians are obsessed with that. And I don't know if it's as imminent or as any time as you were maybe led to believe. Because I think there's some things that need to take place before the rapture of the church happens, wherever the time may be. But I'll let me end with this thought, is we concern ourselves with the rapture of the church beginning time. That's a little uncertain about when. What's certain that we can say is, we never know when we may face death. Right? We may tend to think the rapture can happen any time, but we don't really mentally make the connection, you know what? I don't know when my time will come. I'm sure those victims did not conceive that that morning, or that day, was going to be their last day. None of us really know that. We assume we're going to live to see tomorrow. We're going to assume that we have a future to look forward to. 
We make plans, we get married, we apply to school, we go to, we get jobs, we plan for our kids' future. But the reality is we don't really know. We don't know where at the end of our story. And I don't know if we really live that way either. We think that, oh, we're going to wait for the rapture of the church to come. Well, we may not be reached that point or not. What I want to end with is that, well, there's a concluding, the Bible talks about how the story will end in terms of God's dealing with humanity. He doesn't give us that defining story for us, most of us. And I want to challenge us to consider whether we know when or how or where we're going to be when we die or not. How does that affect how we live our life? How does it affect how we see our story? The value of our story? God says, go and make disciples one day. We talked at the Missions Committee meeting we talked yesterday about the Great Commission. God said, you know, we're about to be about His kingdom. Do we live that way? Do we live that way to share His kingdom, share the gospel to those who don't know the Lord? Because that affects their story. So I want to challenge us as we think about, you know, I know that's what's kind of like a dark topic at end times, and I don't want to get paranoid. <laughs> but to be thinking and praying, God, I may not know the end of my story, but how do I respond and live out the rest of my life for your kingdom until you come back or you take me home? This power has an Lord God, we come before you. And Lord, none of us know the day or the hour whether you come back. Or whether you take us home. Lord, I pray that you will show us how to respond and how to live our life. How we ought to be faithful to you and your word. And Lord, I pray that you would guide our time as we think about the things of the end times and the coming. Lord, may you press on our hearts to be faithful to the days and minutes that we have from our Lord. We thank you that you have mercy and kindness and goodness towards us, Lord. We lift this to Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for this